Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the acclaimed movie All of Us Strangers, starring Paul Mescal and Andrew Scott. Stream the new Hulu original limited series, We Were the Lucky Ones, with Joey King and Logan Lerman. And don't forget about Grey's Anatomy. Every Grey's episode ever is now streaming on Hulu. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu. Proof is a newest show that's trying to solve some great food mysteries, like should you put ketchup on burgers? And how do unusual jelly bean flavours get designed? This is from its first episode, all about celery. What's on the menu is a website that launched in 2011, and it includes about 17,000 menus from the library's collection that we've digitized and then... That's Rebecca Fetterman. She's a librarian at the New York Public Library. The menus are from all over the world, but primarily they're really... The focus is on New York City, and they range from the middle of the 19th century to the early 2000s. Okay, okay. When you have 17,000 menus and you're scraping the dish data that hasn't been scraped before, you really get a sense of themes that you might have missed. So when you look at the popularity of the dishes that appear over time, we have a button where you can click and it looks at the most interesting menu dishes and also the most popular. So obviously this is hardly a surprise. Coffee is number one. Tea is number two. And then to the surprise of many, celery is number three. Appearing on how many menus? 4,246 menus. Okay, so this is a menu from the New York Athletic Club from March 14th, 1900, Wednesday. And it starts off with different kinds of oysters. And then we have soups, and then we have relishes. So we've got celery here, white onions, radishes, and then almonds, anchovies on toast, caviar, etc. And what are those prices? 35 cents for celery, um, 10 cents for radishes. And I see caviar for 25 cents? Caviar for 25 cents, yes. So there was a time when celery was more expensive than caviar? According to this menu. (laughs) Celery comes in so many different forms on these menus. I mean, they had celery-fed duckling that was advertised as the, you know, signature entree at the Ansonia in 1907. There was mashed celery, fried celery, celery tea, an appetizer called cold jellied essence of celery. I mean, they were really getting creative with celery. You might look at a few menus from 1900 and see celery and find that really interesting, but it's far more interesting when all of a sudden you realize that of the 17,000 menus, you know, 4,000 of them or more have celery on them. All of a sudden, it becomes an interesting question. Why? And what are other dishes that are so popular? And what was it like to eat out? And how was the celery served? And were there specific utensils used or that kind of thing? So wait, there were specific utensils or dishes for celery? Yeah, and more than one. I mean, the Victorians loved to have specific utensils for everything, millions of different kinds of tiny forks and spoons, but celery was a special thing. If you lived in an upper-class household on the East Coast in the last part of the 19th century, it's pretty likely that you had like some very expensive cut crystal whose only job was to show off your celery. 
Well, they're grouped by color. So at the bottom, a shelf, we have reds and oranges. And then, believe it or not, the New York Historical Society actually has some of these Victorian era celery vases in their collection. On the second and back shelf, we have a pair of celery vases. On Wait, celery vases. Celery vases. <laughs> I didn't know that was a thing. It's totally a thing, or it was a thing. Uh, not so much anymore. Um, we still eat celery, obviously, but what we want of celery has changed over time. That's Rebecca Klassen, assistant curator of material culture at the New York Historical Society. They're um, eight and a quarter tall and five inches wide, and they have a foot on the bottom. So um, the upper register has sort of vegetative ornamentation, um, somewhat resembling celery, uh, which is pretty cool. So I'm looking at a chart of how the Victorian table might have been set back in this time. And you can see there's a designated spot near the center of the table for these celery vases. And so what you would do with these things is you would fill them half full with water. And then you just kind of like shove some individual celery stalks in there with the beautiful green tops still on. So I imagine this looking almost like a bouquet of flowers, but between courses, guests could just kind of reach over and pluck one out and, and munch on a stick of celery. Yeah, it's sort of a literal and edible centerpiece of the Victorian table. Right. And more than that, they were an actual status symbol. Rebecca explained this. So celery was basically a luxury item or it represented status. And so having these celery vases or glasses on the table kind of helped accentuate how special celery really was. So a surprising thing about celery uh, that might factor into its special place on the table as well is that it's really associated with cold weather, um, and that's when it would be harvested. So uh, farmers would account for a Thanksgiving market and a Christmas market. Um, so it would have been one of the few maybe bits of greenery that you would have at Thanksgiving. Apparently, for like a hundred years, celery was a staple food of Thanksgiving. Like you couldn't have Thanksgiving without celery and olives. You could maybe have Thanksgiving without the turkey, but you couldn't have it without celery. In fact, the thing she said about celery being associated with cold weather was interesting. I hadn't heard about that before, but it turns out that, you know, A.A. Milne, the guy who wrote Winnie the Pooh? So he devoted almost a thousand words to celery uh, in an essay that he wrote called A Word for Autumn. And it's all about how celery for him is this kind of symbol of the cold weather that's creeping in. And he says, There is a crispness about celery that is of the essence of October. It is as fresh and clean as a rainy day after a spell of heat. It crackles pleasantly in the mouth. Moreover, it is excellent, I am told, for the complexion. He goes on and on. How How delicate delicate are the tender tender shoots shoots unfolded layer by layer. layer. Of what a whiteness is the last baby one of all. Of what a sweetness his flavor. Well, wait a minute. There was something he said about celery being white in there. I mean, I know with today's celery, you take the head, you peel away the outer stalks, and you end up with a little pale... They're very tender shoots right in the inside of it. It's white, a little creamy yellow. I actually love that part because it's a little bit sweeter 
than the outer stalks. And you can snack on it. It's beautiful. People throw that away. But I mean, modern day celery is green. Was it white? In the late 1800s, the fashion was for celery to be really, really super white and like not just on the very inside, but all the stalks would be either white or pale yellow um, because back then the fashion was for blanched celery. And I don't know if you've ever tried blanching anything in your garden, but this technique requires a lot of manual labor because basically in order to keep the celery from turning green, you have to shield each individual stalk from the sun so that the chlorophyll doesn't get activated or I don't know, I'm not a gardener. <laughs> but right. They do something similar with uh, endive to keep it pale. It's basically keeping, like you said, the chlorophyll from activating. Yeah, exactly. And you have to do that by physically either piling up dirt around the stalk of the celery, or they would place these really heavy, unwieldy blanching boards on top of the celery. They had all these different methods, but blanching was kind of the name of the game back then. And I think this is part of why celery was such like a rarefied like such a status symbol, why it was so expensive back then. Um, that, and it's it's hard to grow. It's vulnerable to all kinds of pests and plagues and kind of finicky in terms of like where it can grow and how much water it needs. So all of this is combining to, to help us understand why celery was such a big deal, why it might have even been more expensive than caviar. Maya Croft sharing her love of celery with Bridget Lancaster on Proof. And here's a clip from another episode where Sarah Joyner investigates how people design weird jelly bean flavours. Her research opens up a whole rabbit hole into the global food flavouring industry and its history from about the mid-1800s onwards. As time goes on, small flavour companies start to pop up. These are businesses that formulate, curate and sell flavour formulas to the massive burgeoning food industry but secrecy remains crucial. It was possible for companies to have a secret molecule, like a secret ingredient, to have kind of exclusive uses of a molecule that other people were desperate to figure out. A lot has changed because of FDA regulations. Everyone's sort of operating with the same ingredients now, and the industry's really consolidated. Today, there are only about 400 professional flavorists worldwide. There are literally fewer flavorists than active professional baseball players in the MLB. I want to be a flavorist when I grow up now. No, I hope, I hope that children are saying that yeah. because they're really a remarkable group of people. Their expertise is massive and mysterious. These are skilled chemists whose noses are expertly trained to identify molecular aroma compounds. And they make sommeliers look like amateurs. And what used to be a landscape flush with mom and pop flavor shops is now an industry dominated by less than 10 big flavor houses who control about 75% of the market. And it's a pretty big market. We're talking billions each year, not millions. These big players are contracted by all of the major food and bev companies to create flavors for almost everything we consume. Think yogurts, sports drinks, chips, frozen meals, gum, toothpaste, liquor, everything. And even so, a lot about this industry remains the same. It has maintained this sort of shroud of privacy and secrecy, even in the digital age. 
which feels like a holdover from their secret society days. Please tell me that they have a secret handshake. Oh, please tell me that. I wish. I don't know. I I love secret handshakes. I love secrecy. I love secret flavor worlds. So naturally, I wanted to dig in even further. I began to look into this company called Jividon. They're a multi-billion dollar Swiss company. They're big. They have over 100 locations, but with only 150 or so flavorists who are responsible for all the work they do. Flavorists who have this knowledge programmed into their bodies, who are curating everything we eat and drink. And by the way, I'm certain Jividon does not make flavors for Jelly Belly, but I did hope that understanding what these flavors do could help me get to the bottom of this jelly bean mystery. So, when I started researching Jividon, I came across this, uh, what appears to be a recruitment video, uh, and I want to show it to you. Just watch this with me. Our senses impact how we feel. All right, so we have a woman picking up a beautiful pink scarf. Oh, she's gorgeous. The scent brings us closer to a loved one. And she's looking at a picture of a, an older lady. And now sniffing said scarf. Every day, everywhere. <laughs> Beautiful shots of cities and cherry blossoms. Flavors and fragrances surround us. There's like rolling clouds, a sunrise. They awaken our memories, shaping moments of delight. And the wonderful woman is touching everything. Every single like foliage she's walked <laughs> by in this video, she's just <laughs> lightly grazed with her fingertips. Making simple interactions special. I'm starting to have an English accent. <laughs> Working at Givoudan is inspiring. It's the opportunity to make a difference, touching people's lives in many different ways. And what about you? <laughs> Engage your senses and impact your world. Join Givoudan. <laughs> Reporter Sarah Joyner and host Bridget Lancaster on Bean Boozled Part 2 on the show Proof from America's Test Kitchen. And thanks to producer Caitlin Kelleher for her help sharing that with you. Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the acclaimed movie All of Us Strangers, starring Paul Mescal and Andrew Scott. Stream the new Hulu original limited series, We Were the Lucky Ones, with Joey King and Logan Lerman. And don't forget about Grey's Anatomy. Every Grey's episode ever is now streaming on Hulu. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu.